Welcome back for the third episode of That's Business Podcast. Today's guest is near and dear to my heart. He's a 10-year active duty military veteran, has been in the Army National Guard for eight years, is currently obtaining his bachelor's degree from Lawrence Tech University in cybersecurity, and today we have Chuck Oslin. Chuck, it's so great to have you. How's everything going? Pretty good. Good. We'll jump right into it. So Chuck, tell us a little bit about you. How did you, you, you're this decorated veteran. You're now getting your bachelor's degree. You look awesome on paper. How'd you get to this point in your career? Honestly, I'm not as decorated as it may seem. I He's humble, guys. He's I'm very humble. A, I'm not a war hero by any means. And if any of my military friends ever hear this podcast, they, they, they can contest to that. Um, <laughs> so I was born in Seattle, Washington. And I was one of those kids where I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And trust me, I tried. I look, I tried probably every single thing, like photography, because I know I was really into art. So I tried everything oh, okay. to try to figure it out, but um, couldn't. Nothing really like stuck. So when I got out, I tried college. I went to the University of Washington, um, UW, that's what we call it, and I tried some classes and. It was just, it was hard working and going to school. And then a friend of mine said, well, why not do the military? And, you know, I have family in the military also that put that idea in my head. But for some reason, my friend, coming from my friend, it sounded better. So <laughs> I looked into it and, um, yeah, I talked to a recruiter and she was telling me, like, all the different things that the Army has to offer and, of course, lying to me. And then she showed <laughs> me this, like, basic training video where everybody was happy and training and exercising and all this stuff. I'm like, well, that's, that sounds great. But what's, where's the real basic training video? How are they like those cheesy infomercial videos? Pretty much. It's basically what it's looked like. It was horrible. Everybody was having a great time. That's not how basic training is. Yes. Eventually you do get to the, you have those good times right. but way later in the training. They, they kind of break you down first. But so I did that and I did the active duty thing for 10 years. And once I got to that 10 year mark, it was like, okay, go to Afghanistan again, or get out and get education. And at that point in my life, I was like, well, I'm the army wasn't making me any smarter. Mm -hmm. So if I want to get education times now. Um, so I didn't want to 100% leave the military full time. Right. So that's what made the National Guard so attractive. So like, okay, cool. And then people put this bug in my head that I can actually build a career in the guard full time. Mm -hmm. But when I looked into that, it was a lot of um, desk stuff. And I'm a mechanic. Right. So there wasn't, there was no place for me when it came to like, you know, active AGR or any kind of active placement in the National Guard. So, um, yeah, I did that for 10 years. And then um, I went to school, got some of that paid for, got a degree in automotive tech because mm -hmm. I love turning wrenches. I'm, I'm a mechanic, big gearhead. So um, did that for a while. And then now I've decided that and associates won't get you very far. You need to have that bachelor's. And that's why I'm here at Lawrence Tech trying to upgrade my associates. I love it. So breaking down, because you have a lot of pieces we just talked about, but mm -hmm. we'll break down I want on the military side first. So what kind of made you decide to join the Army? I Even after watching the cheesy videos and everything, what was the initial like, hell yeah, I want to do this? Honestly, I I think the reason why college didn't work out so so well for me, it was because I wanted to travel. I, mm -hmm. I never been anywhere outside of Washington state at that time. Oh, wow. So yeah, very sheltered. My family didn't have a lot of money. So, um, mm -hmm. so we couldn't travel or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to travel the world and kind of see what was out there, see what was going on. And, um, 
that's what made the army so attractive because literally they're paying you right to go see the world granted you're working but you still get to see the world and right. it was great i mean i we worked hard and we played hard some duty stations were great others were miserable because of what they put us through but that's sure. the service um but yeah that was the biggest thing it was just being able to travel so i'm like why am i here struggling working trying to pay for college not getting any sleep where i can just sure. put that on the back burner burner for a little bit get a free education if i decide to get out okay and then what was your MOS, or if you're not familiar with military terms for listeners, what was your career specialization in the military? I was a 91 Bravo, although that's, it started off as a 63 Bravo. And, there's, there's, and what those, do those mean to yeah, listeners that don't have an Army background? I know. I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so basically, it's, it's, it's an all, it started off as a light-wheeled vehicle mechanic. That's what the 63 Bravo, and that's just an identifier code. And then it okay. changed over time to being an all-wheel mechanic. So basically anything with four, four or more wheels on it, if it, they're actual wheels, not track, then I can, mm -hmm. I'm qualified to work on it. Like you could fix bikes, like anything with wheels? Literally? Anything with a wheel. Yep. Anything with a wheel didn't matter. What was your favorite thing to fix? Uh, the coolest thing to fix were tanks when I got the opportunity. Nice. That was the coolest thing to fix. And I didn't do much on those because it's not easy to work on a track vehicle. A lot of heavy parts. Um but the fun, the more fun vehicles were like the ATVs and the um, like our little buggies that they have. I've had I've That's had experience so cool. working on those. Yeah, I love it. I know you talked about traveling, being in different countries, and you're no nonchalant about how many you've been to. But how many countries have you actually been to, and what has been your favorite place you've traveled to? I've always been into very big on Asian culture. So mm -hmm. for some reason, just the way their architecture is and the way they carry themselves and they are way ahead of us in the tech department. So my first duty station was Korea and I, okay. since Korea, I've also traveled to Japan several times. Um, and when you walk through their malls, they have like 3D animation stuff going on as advertisements. Awesome. Because I remember walking in one of the Korean malls and um, there was a, like a game store, kind of like GameStop. Yeah. And uh, they were just, you know, selling video games and stuff. And they had this little 3D Yoshi that was running around like eating eggs and stuff like right in front of me. And it looked super real. How long ago was this? This was 2005. Wow. So to only imagine what that tech is exactly. like now. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Japan was no different. They just, they, everything's all neon lit and uh, they have all these weird, weird, like extravagant advertisements. And it's just, that's very distracting. I like it. <laughs> it's distracting. He likes it. It is. So what's, I, do you know the total of how many countries you've been to? Uh, Probably close to 15. Wow. Maybe a little more, give or take. Mm -hmm. That's so awesome. No, I never thought about you know, you join the military and you get to travel around. I mean, you're 100% right. So I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. And then with, with all these countries, what was the biggest culture shock for you? Definitely. Well, Korea was my first, like I said earlier, and that right. was probably my biggest because I went from, I went from being sheltered in Washington state to going to um, South Carolina for training, which is still America. Right. And then going straight overseas to another culture. And how old were you? Uh, 23. Ooh, you're, you're a young little guy. A little bit, a little bit. So yeah, seeing how the way they do things, like for example, the taxi cab drivers, they don't follow any, 
any rules of the road, really. Like if you tell them you need to get somewhere fast and you tip them, they will drive on the sidewalk if they have to, to get you there on time. It's, it's ridiculous. And then on top of that, just seeing how, how much better we have it in our country compared to what they do. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. South Korea is very well off, but they're still, they, they have their third world areas and there okay. are a lot of poverty in certain areas too. So it was a shock to see some of that. And then of course there is a language barrier. So if you're not oh, anywhere, yes. yeah. So if you're not anywhere near um, a school, because mm-hmm. most Asian cultures say, if you want to be they teach them, if they want to be successful, you have to have English as a second language. That's what they teach their kids. Now, so, do a lot of people in these Asian countries you've been to speak English or it, was it more in those school areas? Like you said. Yeah, like this, like the colleges and stuff. That's where okay. that's where you're going to get oh, a lot okay. more kids that speak English and a lot more of the like faculty and stuff will speak English too. So if you see adults, you'll see a lot more English speaking people there. Because I know, I mean, I've only been to Europe. I am not well traveled like you are. Hope to be one day. But everyone spoke. It was I swear in Italy, it was everyone spoke Italian, Spanish, French, and English like nine times out of ten, and it was crazy well, to me. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I've been to a lot of countries. However, I've always been to the like not the glamorous parts, not anywhere that anybody that oh, would, for sure. yeah, that no would travel. Like, areas, oh, right. yeah, like it's worse. Yeah. So I would go to Italy and it's like, okay, we're in the woods somewhere. Like I don't <laughs> see true. any, yeah, I don't see any of the, I don't see the Coliseum. I don't see any cities. We land in this like rinky dink airport in the middle of nowhere. And then we get rushed off to this little base full of tents. And then we go off, we train with the Italians all day. Oh, so you weren't sipping wine on the countryside eating cheese? No, <laughs> definitely not. That that was not my experience. But the cool right. thing is, you get to sit down with the Italians and learn about their culture and figure out who they are and eat their food. So, it, I mean, that's the trade-off, I guess. Right. I love that. Now, with all this, these ten years of experience, obviously you transitioned out. Mm-hmm. So, what was kind of the hardest part about transitioning out, or just walk us through that? Because I love this part of your story and. I mean, we met this during your time of transitioning yeah. out. Yeah. So the army does a fantastic job getting you ready to do army things. Like they okay. take a complete civilian in and they completely reshape your way of thinking to get you used to how the army works as an organization. Sure. Because it's way different than civilian world. But they don't do a good job is setting you up for success when pushing you back in that civilian world that you've been away from for so long. Because army life, um, as much as the freedoms that are taken away, at the same time, you have nothing to worry about. Like all the same things that most civilian people worry about when it comes to like uh, insurance or car payments or whatever, none of that exists in the army. Right. So you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You don't have to worry about rent. You don't have to, well, if you're high, if you live off post, you have to worry about rent, but the army covers it for you. So it's it's really a carefree life. Granted, a lot of your freedoms are taken away, but they don't really prepare you for going back in the civilian world. It's almost like they're mad at you or something like, Oh, you don't want to be a part of my team. Well then fine. Good luck. (laughs) And they just kind of push you out the door and that's about it. Yeah. There's programs involved to like mitigate that and kind of help you get there, but they're not really refined. They may be refined now, but when I was going out, they weren't, they were kind of like these little, I don't know, hour classes that really didn't, prepare me for anything in my opinion right well and funny enough just the story of how chuck and i met i i don't know i I don't know if i've told the story on this podcast yet but i started my career in defense recruiting where i helped transitioning military vets find work and 
that's how I got my start writing resumes, which, which is crazy to look back on now, what, mm-hmm. eight years later, but that was the biggest culture or not culture shock, but the biggest shock to me was all these great vets were amazing over the phone and Chuck was one of them. And I'm like, your resume is terrible. You are not going to get a job. You're just not. So that's when I started writing resumes. And before I actually met Chuck in person, I rewrote his resume, um, like typed up the whole thing, had him tell me his experience and all. And that was where I took a lot of time with everyone I worked with because you guys were guys and gals were not prepared for the civilian word world. It was all this, I swear it was like the 80s, 90s way of looking for a job was what be, was being told to everyone I talked to. And I'm like, you can, no, do not do that in an interview. Do not do this over here, over there. And that's how I got my start writing resumes and how I realized like, okay, that's not how to write resumes. And then, oh wait, nobody really knows how to write resumes. So I love that part of it. And that's how Chuck and I met and got him into general dynamics, which was super awesome. But it's it's crazy. I mean, like you said, the programs now are, I feel, a little more dynamic, diverse, really like help you transition out months in advance instead of what? What wasn't it? Like a month transition time? I don't yeah, remember the, when it well, The thing is, what I've noticed nowadays is a lot of soldiers, especially if you look at um, different transitioning sites that are out there on LinkedIn, they mm-hmm. tell you like at the year point when you know you're getting out, start doing this and this and this. Well, my unit didn't give me time to do this and this and this. In their eyes, I was oh. I still need to come in and work and do the job that I was supposed to be doing. Right. So I didn't actually get time to transition or focus on like anything mm-hmm. until probably 60 days out to my ETS. Right. So I literally had two months to really like get my things together, figure out where I wanted to leave, start clearing posts, all that stuff. Right. No. And I feel, I mean, I think your group are kind of within the five year time frame, like late two thousands, early 2010s. Mm-hmm. I don't think they changed the transition program till quite some time. So I, I even think like even two, three years ago, based on people I've worked with or who I've talked to is that that transition program is still hard for some, but I feel they do they have all these resources now that weren't available when, and you and I have talked about this multiple times, these resources were not available for you. It's, you don't get leave. It's, you have to do your job. And I think that's what a lot of employers and um, companies need to need to realize and look at. I would get in so many fights at my job when I worked in staffing, because I mean, hiring is so discriminative in so many different terms, different ways where, I remember vividly fighting with an account manager. He's like, oh, well, he only had this person only has military experience. Like, okay, but this is like their specialization. This is all that they're doing. Like, this is better than any corporate pencil pushing gig, which was the case in some situations. But I remember fighting being like, you are not giving this person a chance just because they have military experience. And, you know, I've made it my mission. I have a master's degree in military psychology, too to kind of dispel this myth. It's just so stupid to me. And I've luckily I haven't seen it happen too much recently, but I know when we get back in the recruiting side and expand the business, it's going to happen again because people don't know and are not trained on what exactly this military end means. And then vets are not trained on how to write their resume into civilian terms. And it's just like this whole cluster. So they gave us a class. So there was a class I had to report to and it was uh, roughly an hour long, maybe sometimes a little more. And there was this lady there and she told you about LinkedIn, said, this is LinkedIn. If you don't have one, get one. That was it. 
That's that, that was it. Didn't tell us how to write it. Didn't tell right. us what we needed to put in it. Just if you don't have one, get one. It's a good way to network. That was it. And then at that point, she's like, okay, resume. What do you guys' resumes look like? And she's and she did help a lot of um, – because you get a lot of um, infantry guys that come in and don't think they're qualified for certain things. Sure. Which – Technically, they could be qualified more. I realized I had kind of like a trade MOS or job mm-hmm. in the military. Right. When infantry people, they're kind of confused. They're like, well, I just was in combat the whole time. What, what can I bring to a civilian world? But um, she basically just like, she gave us examples of different outlines of the, re- outlines of the resume. And this kind of said, find your best traits and put them here. Put your best skill sets and put them oh here. She didn't God. actually try to like go into how the resume was supposed to look and how it was supposed to be formed. What does it mean? Why are you doing certain exactly, things? Exactly. Exactly. And then we had to write it up on our own based on what she showed us, based on like examples she showed. Okay. And that's why my resume looked like crap to you, honestly. It wasn't horrible. It, it was pretty bad. Best. Yeah, it wasn't great. Well, and well you conveniently... I remember your like motherboard crashed or something because I was waiting. I was waiting. You were the final resume on a Friday that was going to help me hit my numbers for the week. So I was like, "Where is this guy's resume?" And, it, and that's not a lie. It actually crashed. did crash because I, I got. I started. I, I taught myself how to build computers, and that was one of my first ones. And I must. Uh, no, I didn't do anything wrong. It was just a faulty motherboard. Right. So yeah, I literally had to buy like a whole. Yeah, I had to buy a whole bunch of different parts to get it fixed. So. So I typed up his whole resume. Didn't even have the resume in front of me. I typed up the whole thing, guys. Whole thing. It was so nice. Look at me. But yeah, I. that's long term. Like I know we've talked about this, but I'd love to have a branch of my business to just help transitioning military vets out and give the actual civilian skills. It's. I mean, it's kind of the same. Th- I mean, very different situations, but transitioning out of the military is almost like transitioning out of college where mm-hmm. it's a lot of the same of like hey everything you were just told and taught is like completely different like this is actually how you write a resume this is actually how you network and it's I say that with clients all the time I'm like I'm so sorry you were told this it's kind of a lie but like here I'll help you out and I'm, they're like oh my god I could hear the stress on the other end of the phone but um it, I feel like it's a lot related you go in so young you're trained mm-hmm. on all this one specific thing you come out you're like oh my god I don't know anything I mean I didn't know anything about finances taxes insurance whatever yeah and exactly. I feel like same thing you said so yeah that was the biggest shock to me learning when I learned about that that you have everything taken care of even down to investing down to bills down to rent I mean that part was just crazy to me because I didn't realize until I went on a military base that it's a little town. If you guys have never been on a military base, it's like its own city. You have restaurants, you have grocery stores, you have movie clothing stores, movie theaters. Like it's yeah. crazy. I was like a kid in like it like if if a kid went to like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, I was like, whoa, this and is they, crazy. And, and they recently just opened up like because the PX is where we it's kind of like our mall where we go to buy things. Okay. Like when it comes to like DVDs or TVs or whatever. Sure. It's, like a, it's like a big Best Buy kind of. Oh. And that will have eateries and restaurants and stuff in there, in there too. But the biggest thing um, they started just recently doing is gun shops for people who like to shoot for fun or for sport. Oh. So that was, I mean, we have a lot of, you know, strict gun laws on post, but of course you can, yeah, you can at least buy one on post and pot, p- potentially get a better deal. Because there's no, what's the deal you get? There's no taxes on it. On the PX, no, you don't pay taxes. Right. But okay. there is a bit of a price hike to cover that, unfortunately, sometimes. So it's really yeah. about breaking even. Yeah, yeah, that's what it feels okay. like. I never really shopped there very much. It's so crazy, but I loved it. No, 
Okay. Awesome. So you transition out. I think we covered your military career very well, and I love all your stories. I could talk about it for hours, but now let's transition to you going to college. So you are 40 years old when you started yeah. college. That's amazing. I love no, it's, it. It's not amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> he's so dramatic. What made it, what kind of motivated you to start college at 40? Well, I mean, the military gives you all this free money, honestly, and I still had a lot of it left and it felt really irresponsible for me not to spend it. I mean, I honestly mm-hmm. earned it. It's free education. Why not use it? And on top of that, um, as much of a gearhead as I am, I learned that it's really not my passion. I don't really okay. 100% enjoy it so as much as I thought I did. And plus my dream job as a mechanic doesn't really exist unless I'm an engineer. Right. And I've learned really quickly starting college that my math skills are a little behind. So mm-hmm. I have a feeling that I wouldn't do so well in that department. So that's why I went cybersecurity because I absolutely love it. I actually love tech. I love computers. I love building them. I love trying to figure out how they operate. And I just, it's a great career, I think, or it's going to be a great career, I think. Oh my gosh, who told you about cybersecurity and how you should go into that? Hmm. Well, I was afraid of the... It was you. However, I was afraid of the whole code. I was afraid Talk of the whole coding. Chuck, come on. I was afraid of the whole coding a- aspect of it. Right. People, I don't think I'll do well with coding, but I think I can do well mm-hmm. with everything else. Right. And I know, I mean, we talk about your college career a lot and whatnot, but I mean, if you feel comfortable, I mean, we talk about like you have a traumatic brain injury from the military. I do. Yeah. How does that affect you going to college? It affects memory. So with this injury, I don't perceive information as quickly as most people do. And the the biggest areas within reading, can I get the answer? Yes, but it takes a little bit of time. Most people can read something like a pair, a simple paragraph really quickly. Mm -hmm. It takes me a couple skims to get what they're really saying in that paragraph. And how did you? I'm saying it's a bit of a disadvantage, but it's overcomable, so. And how did you kind of realize this was affecting your either everyday life or did it kind of come out when you started school or how did this kind of come to fruition? Well, it, it, I noticed how bad it really was because doctors would tell me like, hey, this might, you know, cause difficulties in the way you learn or just, right. pers- you know, live in your daily life. And I was like, oh, OK, but I felt fine. I felt mm-hmm. OK. So I didn't quite understand what they were talking about until I started school in Washington for the, my first got out. And started right. going to tech school that I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I need to spend more time reading. I need to spend a little bit more time, you know, studying and kind of practicing things because I can do things hands-on really well and learn very quickly because right. I can see it. But when I have to get PowerPointed to death or lectured to death, that's when it's a little confusing. Right. No. And does Lawrence Tacker, um, where you went to Clover Park, I believe before? I did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Do they give you any type of, uh, what's it called? Like resources to help you out or any type of special, I can't think of the word, like special accommodations. They do. Yeah, they offer, that work? yeah. They offer tutors. Um, that's good. The Lawrence tech side of it is taking a little longer because obviously I'm, I'm here in Michigan now and I have to right. find medical stuff that's back in Washington and it's, I'm having a hard time getting that trans transitioned over. But what they do is they help me with longer test times. Oh, because, that's nice. Yeah, by like fifty, they 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 judge it by a fifty percent or a percentage. So I get fifty okay. percent. So they add extra. They extra. So if my test is an hour, I'll get two hours. Okay. 
So you get double the time. Yeah, so I'll get double the time. If the test is 45 minutes, then obviously I'll get an extra 45 minutes to complete it. Gotcha. And then they have a bunch of resources too. For example, I get to do the Holt Writing Center, mm-hmm. um, which they help you with writing essays and trying to get you to remember how that was. Because okay. I don't honestly... There's MLA and APA formatting. However, I don't remember that being a thing when I was in high school. So there's a lot of new things I'm learning now going to school that I didn't realize that was a thing before. Oh, my God. I, you would think I would remember it because I, I was a psychology undergrad and I had a master's in military psych and it was all APA. I couldn't tell you. No way. Maybe an in-text yeah. citation, but mm-mm, don't miss those days. And then... As you go back to school, what's been the biggest shock since going back? Biggest shock going back to school is the amount of deadlines, honestly, trying to keep track of them. Um, They were easy to keep track of in the military, but for some reason, college is a little different. They just think you have all the time in the world and don't require sleep. So (laughs) welcome to college. Yeah. It's like, how can anybody learn like that? I don't understand. I feel like the education system is a little broken in that aspect. Now you went to a top 10 school, so I'd imagine... It was a Big Ten school. No, it was not Ivy League. Yes, Big Ten. So it's called Big Ten. Okay, cool. So he's not a sports guy, guys. I'm I'm really not. Is the Big Ten is that football related? The the football division. Yes. Anyway, it is the best division, but yes. (laughs) So it's the best best football school, which has nothing to do with me getting an education. Yes. (laughs) But anyway, you went to a you know well known college, and I'm pretty sure their standards are a lot higher than Lawrence Tech. Well, probably not, but it. I mean. Because Lawrence Tech just became a university, so right. But I'm sure it's the same. Well, you get more hands-on. Lawrence Tech is a lot smaller. Where I had some classes, I had 500, 600 people in my class. That's so true, and I did. It was I all like, tests. Yeah, I had like 18. Right. <laughs> so, so and I like just, that environment better. It's better for me in that kind of environment. I don't feel. I feel like I'm gaining more knowledge that way, as opposed to having you know 300 people in a room. Right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the college experience, A, is not for everyone. B, you don't have to go to a giant school. C, if it works better and you learn better from going to a smaller school, great. I mean. I just wish companies saw that though. I know. I just feel like some companies are like, oh, you went to Harvard. So that means you're the best candidate. No. Right. And Ivy League (laughs) school is great for sure. But education is a privilege. I mean. It is. If you don't, I mean, how at 18 years old, you're allowed to sign your life away in student loans or, yeah. hey, like my parents paid for my college. I'll be, I'm a hundred percent transparent about that. My parents paid for Penn State. They had a fund started when I was born and they paid for Penn State. If they hadn't, I would not have gone. There's no way I could have afforded it. Yeah. I worked throughout my time, but there's no way. And that's where I do feel bad for people with all these student loans and it's crazy, but it's forgot this meme I saw it was like I don't even remember I'm gonna butcher it but essentially like you need to go to college oh you don't want to go to college oh this and it's just like you can't win of whatever situation you you title but I tell people to like do what's best for you I mean trade school is phenomenal which we will get into in another episode but you don't have to go to school to get a degree I mean I was making what was it 30 30 grand 32 grand out of college with a four-year degree and I decent grades i was in leadership i did all the things you're supposed to do in college but okay 30 grand out of school and i'm like well my teachers were telling me i should be at like 60 or 70 and i'm like no i'll work my way up but 
I got screwed by that company. They wouldn't give me a raise after making them half a million dollars in profit. I was never taught how to negotiate salary. I was never taught how to write a resume. Thankfully, I had this amazing professor. Oh, I need to reach out to her. She's great. But she wrote my, she helped me write my cover letter. And she was the English, business English uh, professor. And she okay. helped me write everything. So looking back, it's so fun full circle that now I people pay me to write their cover letters all the time. But I don't feel college prepared me for the real world. It's checked the box on it, which I'm not in a specialization, but those those programs help me. I mean, you being in cybersecurity, that makes sense to get that education. Your transitioning career is 100 percent. Right. And I love that you're going back now at 40 when you know what you want to do. I mean, so many people's resumes are like, oh, I, I got a degree in biology and now I'm a lawyer or, you know, they're just all, all over the place and having that career transition. But you taught yourself how to build computers. That's incredible. And this is like the the checkboxes say like, hey, you have the degree, you're getting that knowledge and you can transition into another industry. I love that. Now, well, the crazy thing is it's, it's it seems like with most companies you have, they either want experience, like you have the education, but they want you to have more experience fresh out of college. Right. And then you have Ooh, the other yeah. spectrums, like like me, I have a ton of experience. But I had very little education, but that still wasn't good enough. Right. So, I don't know. I like it. But the nice thing about your degree, too, is you can, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but within cybersecurity, you have the option or any IT roles to get certifications as you're getting your bachelor's degree. And that's what which I'm looking at now. Right. And which, when Chuck and I talked about this, and I... Um, had I set him up with a past client of mine who kicks ass at what he does. He's like, I didn't know any of this. This is crazy. But a lot of people just don't know the resources available to them. And that's why, you know, getting this degree is great and you know what you want to do. And I love that. Okay. Now, what are some of your career goals kind of post-graduation? So you're getting out, you're graduated. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to start interning here soon because I don't fully understand all the different avenues that are available to me in iTech. I want to go towards mm -hmm. more of a hands-on role, but um, the, I think that I think those are very few and far between in the IT world, which is fine. But sure. um, the more hands-on I can get, the better. So I'm kind of just researching and seeing what's out there for now and trying to figure out and uh, what tech companies are available and what they do. But cloud services, I think, is the big thing I'm really interested in. Oh, you can make so much money. It's ridiculous. Well, not only the money, that's, that sounds awesome, but I was told there's a, there a hands-on portion to that. And it's more hands-on than most IT areas that I've researched this far. Right. Well, you can work for anyone. I mean that's great getting the degree because the Googles, the Microsofts, the large enterprise companies want you to have a degree. Right. So by you getting this and getting these internships, getting this experience, changing your resume, you can work for anyone. I mean, every single company needs one of you. So oh, right. Yeah. And tech ain't going away. It's only going to keep going. So that's awesome. You decided on that. Okay. Now we're going to transition a little bit, but you could go back and I, I, I ask uh, everyone on this, anyone that comes on this podcast, this question, if you could go back to being 18 and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Other than certain women, not to date, um, <laughs> there, I would probably it's a lesson. come on. Yeah. Well, lesson I don't want to relive. Um, Ooh, sounds like a good story there. No, uh, it was probably, actually, I don't think I would change anything up until the point to where I wish I I wish I had the bravery to go to college 
right when I got out. I went to a trade school and it was fun. Okay. And it, mm-hmm. at the time it was my passion. It's what I wanted to do. But once I found out that my dream job pretty much didn't exist and how everything was kind of transitioning to electrical, it kind of like that, that was it. What do I got? You know what I mean? So I kind of wish I would have, I would have like, Hey, it follow this. You've been mm-hmm. studying it. You've been doing it as a hobby. You've been building computers, like run with this. I wish I would have had the the bravery to run with it at a younger age. So when did you, at what age did you start building them? Uh, I started building them. Actually, I started building them when I was still in the army. I still active duty. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where it first started. Mm -hmm. And then when I got out, I kind of just continued on as a hobby, like here and there, like, like people do like, I don't know, with art or music or whatever. It's kind of like a side thing to do when they want to have fun and relax. So that's kind of what I was doing. I would make them all special and cool and make them light up and I would try to format them and figure out how to, you know, what different programs did. And I don't know. I just like doing that kind of stuff. So I kind of, I started in the active duty side and it kind of just carried off as a hobby, but I never thought about making a career out of it. And I should have, because I think I would have been 2020. Exactly. I would have probably been in a better position than I am now. Let's see. What did I, I think at 18, I wanted to be a, what did I want to be? I wanted to be a journalist at 18 and then I wanted to be a criminal profiler. And then I changed my mind mm-hmm. and here we are writing resumes today. So, you know, it all works out. See, yeah. You told me about your criminal profile thing. I think that's a job I could actually do. Oh, for sure. I think I could do that job. It would be sad at some points and very traumatizing a little bit, but I think I could honestly do that job, especially if we were catching bad guys doing the horrible things they do. You could be a secret agent. Yeah. That's a cool. Job. Who doesn't want to be James Bond? Like who doesn't? So come so on. I just said, I just said Oslin. Chuck Oslin. <laughs> Got to flip over cars. I'll wear like that fancy red dress and like fight you. Be a Bond girl? You can be a Bond yeah. girl? Yeah, I'll be a Bond girl. Got to get in better shape and flip over cars and stuff. But we could do it. It's fine. I got to put my hair cars. up. That's what I hate about those movies where the girls have their hair down. There's no way. That hair gets in your face. No way in hell that you can well, fight with Bond, your hair down. What Bond girl flips over cars though? What are you, the Hulk? Like what are you? Not flips over cars, but in the fight scenes where they just somehow like don't flash people in their dresses or anything oh okay, okay. that's what i'm saying okay love the movies but you know okay now how do you where do you find this motivation to keep going and do you ever have imposter syndrome um sometimes sometimes my motivation comes from the fact that i actually want to do this i think i've never yeah. i think i've been more motivated pursuing this career than i was automotive even though the automotive side is fun mm-hmm. um but yeah, I think drive merely becomes, I really want this degree. I really want to do this. I love that. Okay. What's a fun fact about you? Fun fact about me is um, growing up, my dad and I, we didn't really bond. He was there, don't get me wrong. And he had a lot of advice here and there, but he, we didn't really bond when it came to an activity because my brothers were really into sports and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's where his focus was, you know, Craig and Cody doing baseball, whatever. Right. Um, so we didn't really bond. So when I moved back home, getting out of active duty, my grandfather had this shell of a 1927 Ford Roadster. And it was just the body. Mm-hmm. And he had, he's had it probably since the fifties, if I imagine. That's um, awesome. And it, he got it primered and all fixed up. And it was just hanging on the wall. Cause I mean, the body is relatively small. It only fits two people in there. Right. And then um, it's just hanging on the wall. And my grand, my dad was like, you know what? I'm going to build a car out of that. 
And my dad came to me and he's like, do you want to help me build a car? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's build a hot Hell rod. Yeah. So that's what we did. It took us, well, with both of, both of our finances combined, it took us probably 18 months to fully complete. Mm-hmm. And we're still working the bugs out because, you know, Washington state winners aren't the greatest. It rains a lot, it rains a lot out there. So we don't have a lot of pristine, pristine days to go driving, but um, yeah, but just taking my automotive knowledge and helping my dad and sharing it with my dad was just awesome. And there was a lot of old school stuff that he taught me because obviously there was a lot of old tech that went into that car. Mm-hmm. So just having the time to go in that garage and just kind of listen to the radio and turn wrenches and figure out how the supercharger works and start the engine for the first time. And, you know, what do we want this to look like? What do we want this to be painted? Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was a lot of fun. It was kind of like a bucket list thing for me. And I got to know my dad a little bit on that, on that aspect. Right. Well, yeah, you spent hours doing that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. It was cool. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Well, that is a fun fact. So we're going to finish up here and Chuck, it's been a pleasure, but where can listeners find you? Uh, well, I'm not a social media guy. I do have a LinkedIn <laughs> that well, he Facebook, doesn't use. Yeah. Well, Facebook's full of drama. So I got tired of that. I got tired of the stupid memes and dumb stuff that kept popping up all the time. Oh, the we love memes. I don't, I have no time for that. I want to see my family. That's why I got, that's why I signed up for Facebook is to see pictures of my family and see how they're doing because I was always in other countries and doing things and right. never got to really talk to them. But I mean, I mean, you can call me, you want to call me. Say, hey, what's up? What if your phone blows up with all these conversations? That's fine. I'll have them. I mean, I might not always answer the phone because I'm always doing something, but at the same time, yeah. I can call you. <laughs> I, I love have, it. I don't have social media. Other than LinkedIn, I don't have a social media, really. Okay. Okay. Well, anything else for us, Chuck? No, that's all I got. Okay. Well, it's been that's a it. pleasure. What'd you say? I said, unless you want me to ask you questions. If you want. I could ask you anything? Yes. Anything at all? anything at all mindful. be mindful of this only, podcast though it's only fair you've been grilling me um this whole time to be able to push it back on you but i'm not gonna be as serious though because that's uh, not fun whatever you want man um i am a gearhead like i said earlier and i know your favorite car but i'm trying to understand why it's your favorite car like a so tell us what your favorite car is and why this car is so special for you Y'all going to judge me, but it's okay. First of all, I love the brand Maserati. And anyone that's automotive is like, oh, they're not built great. And Chuck said the same thing. Yeah. I love the Gran Turismo. It's just, and this is why. Because I feel like every other car brand has like a certain person that's behind it. Like a Tesla is like the young 20-something-year-old guy who makes a lot of money, drives a Tesla. Or... A Lamborghini is some hedge fund dude that is just bored on the weekends. And maybe he's older. Maybe he's retired. And maybe this is just what my thoughts are. But a Maserati, that black Maserati GT, you don't know who's behind it. They could be a criminal. They could be a badass business owner. They could be an FBI agent. But there's, I just feel like there's no set. Sounds so stupid to say out loud. It's weird how how your mindset goes to having that level of a car being associated with success because Not even in- success. It's just like, it's just like mysterious. Like it's fast. It's sleek. It's sexy as hell. I love my Italian automakers, but I don't know. I don't know why I freaking love it. And because when I think of, when I look at success, I think of something more simple, like a Lexus or a BMW that that screen. Okay. This guy, yeah, I like a Lexus and BMW, yeah. but I, well, feel when like I, see, when I see that level of a car. 
that particular level of car. I think secret agent or superhero. See, I don't that's think. What I, said. I don't think success. I don't. I don't, I don't even think it's no. I didn't even say success. I'm saying you just don't know what the person's background is, like a superhero, like a Superman, like Clark Kent during the day and Superman at night, or Peter Parker during the day and he's secretly Spider Man. And the funny know? thing is, you've never driven this car. No. <laughs> yeah. So you're gonna get behind the wheel of it one day and feel all special. I'm gonna love it. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Hey, we'll see. I'm I'm not in any place to buy a Maserati right now, but Hey, that that's just my bougie would love that car. And there's a Maserati dealer down the street and I drive by every so often. I'm like, Oh, you're so nice. I I've, love their logo too. Their emblem. They, Ooh, they, so sexy. Yeah. They don't, they don't let you test drive those though. It's no. either you have the money to buy them or you don't. The only, the only people that get that kind of, I don't know, privilege, I guess, are celebrities. I think. No, you can test drive them. I'm telling you. Okay, what other absurd questions? Um, let's go. I'm a big nerd. I'm a big fantasy guy. Um, so let's let's not think of the world. So if there's a, a an imaginary world that you can oh, visit, out of anything that you've seen on either TV, movies, magazines, whatever, what world would that be? I don't know why, but Hogwarts is coming in my head first because it fits my vibe of who I am and I love the camaraderie and it's like in a corporate environment almost like a, but like you have to work together and I think it really prepares you for the real world. And you know, like demons and Voldemort doesn't scare me. Like I'd be like, hell yeah, let's fight this dude. Let's fight this a-hole. <laughs> but like, I, I love Halloween and it's Halloween year round. Right. But well, I mean, just, I just, because it's, to. just because it's London and London's always like bleak and dreary doesn't mean it's Halloween. No, I know. But I'm saying like, I like that vibe. Like I like that mid-century Victorian vibe. Okay. So I don't know. I just went to Hogwarts, English, I think would be the best. Old English goth. Yeah. That's a better way to put it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Slytherin for life, baby. Okay. Okay. Um, I know you're a foodie. So I'm going to lead with this. If you were on your deathbed for whatever reason, like death row, like you're going to get put to death for, you know, whatever. Damn, what did I do? Yeah, exactly. Whatever crime you committed, you have your last meal. What would that your last meal be? Hmm. And knowing you, you're probably going to pick several, but I want you to pick one. What? Yeah. No, you can get whatever you want. Death row, you get whatever I don't you believe, want. I don't believe they're going to bow down. I'm telling you, no, there's this TikTok account and they eat all like people's death row meals and you can get whatever you want. That doesn't make sense. It's a thing. I'm going to show you what we're doing with this podcast. You've been a menace to society for these years and they're going to literally, okay, I guess it's a way for them to say, sorry, we're killing sorry, you. Sorry, we're but, killing you. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just saying like, I just don't see them bending over backwards for- I'm telling you, when we get off this, I'll show you. But I love- Cacio e Pepe pasta I had in Italy, assuming they travel for me. Get me this. I, I want some form of pasta. No, you're making my point. They're not gonna go out. No, I know. But I'm just food. saying they're gonna go to the lake, the the local okay, I'm simple. Garden. I'd eat freaking mac and cheese, some mac and cheese, some fries, waffle fries with some ranch. I'd be happy. Yeah, that, Maybe that an orange pop. Cheese, that mac and cheese is coming out of a box. No, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong after this podcast. They're going to go to the local Olive Garden. They're going to order something off that menu. Give me them breadsticks. 
because it's like 15 bucks and they're gonna bring it to you and be like here deal with it it doesn't come from it i can't wait to prove you wrong but yeah i'm easy to please i love food so anything else for me any other absurd questions here no that's all i can think of right now (laughs) well those were fun things i have not thought about ever but we love that well chuck it's been an absolute pleasure having you on explaining your military career being so upfront and honest with everyone Yes, connect with him on LinkedIn, guys, and maybe he will actually use it more. But we'll talk soon and have a great rest of your week, Chuck. You too. Yeah. Thanks. Got some homework to do now. Sweet. Have fun. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone. But here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.